I'd like for you to turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. And as I read this, I want to apologize because I'm going to be reading from a version that I don't believe is on the board, on the screen. So bear with me. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through the whole surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Those words are amazing words. Jesus Christ walks in to this synagogue, the synagogue of his own hometown, the people who saw him grow up from a little boy, and he opens up to the prophet Isaiah, the same book that we've been reading through these past weeks and will continue to read through in our services together. And he opens up to this book of Isaiah and he reads this passage. Picture the scene. And he says, Today, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. I am the one that Isaiah was talking about. And he reads these words and he tells, he tells us why he came to this earth. He says that he came to do certain things for certain people. He says he came to proclaim the good news. He came to proclaim the good news to whom? He says he, he came to proclaim the good news to the poor. He says he, he came to proclaim liberty. He came to proclaim, proclaim liberty to whom? He came to proclaim liberty to the captives. He says he came to proclaim the recovering of sight. He came to proclaim the recovering of sight to whom? To the, to the blind. He came to set people at liberty. Who? He came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, think about what that means. Do you see what he's saying? Do you see what that means? If we are going to rejoice in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we really are going to come and adore Him, as we've sung this morning. Ultimately, if we are going to go and tell it to our friends, to our families, to our neighbors, to the nations, if we are really going to embrace the significance of this coming of the Son of God to take on human flesh, then we have to self-consciously be 
the people that Jesus came for. In other words, we have to be humble people. We have to see ourselves as poor and captive and blind and oppressed. If you don't see yourself as poor, captive, blind and oppressed, then you have no reason at all to give a rip about the coming of Jesus Christ. If you've never tasted your spiritual poverty, if you've never felt the chains of your captivity, if you've never seen your own blindness, if you've never known what it is to be oppressed, then why in the world do you need Jesus? And why get all worked up about it? You see, we live in a culture of pride, don't we? We live in a culture where wealth and freedom and enlightenment and autonomy, all the opposite things that Jesus talks about here, are glorified and idolized. We, hear a, we live in a culture that hears these words from Jesus Christ and yawns. Or actually, more than that, probably gets offended. Because the last thing we want to think of ourselves is that we actually need something. Our culture is like the people that Christ addresses in, in Revelation 3.17. He says to them, You say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So we live in a proud culture that, that thinks it needs nothing. That glorifies independence. Glorifies autonomy. Glorifies power and might and wealth. And that's why people yawn at Christmas time. That's why they don't even blink. You know, it's a weird thing. You walk into the mall, you walk into Walmart, and you hear, piped through the, the Muzak system, you hear, Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King. And that's just background noise to them. Or veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate Deity. Or God of God, Light of Light. Lo, He abhors not the virgin's womb. Very God, begotten, not created. Oh, come, let us adore Him. They can hear these words of glory and awe and brush them aside as quaint little nostalgic relics, nice little ditties. After all, who today really needs a Savior? We're all much too self-confident for that, aren't we? We're much too sophisticated for that. We have much too self-esteem for that. Of course, you all know that I'm talking about all those sinners out there, right? Things are much better in here, aren't they? Things are much better in the church, right? I mean, we, we hear about the pride of our culture. We think, yeah, those people out there are so proud. I thank God I'm not proud like they are. I was humble enough to become a Christian. I was smart enough to see the truth. I was enlightened and holy enough. I used my autonomy and my freedom and my independence to choose Jesus Christ. But oh yes, brother, preach it. All those sinners out there are so proud. Uh, this past Friday, Pastor Bailey posted an article on his blog, on his web blog, if you don't know what blog means, he, written, he posted this article written by a typical urban non-Christian woman 
in Minneapolis who went with a Christian friend to a, this mega church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And she wrote this article about it, about her experience. And in this article, she, she talks about going up to the pastor after the service. She's introduced to the pastor. He's engaging her. They're talking. And she tells us what she said to him. She says this. I tell the pastor that while my experience at the church has been pleasant, it's been nice, I still have reservations about the evangelical movement in general. Now remember, this is coming from a, someone who's outside, who's looking in. She says, to me, there's too much hypocrisy, too many contradictions. I don't understand, for example, why some Christians will acknowledge their sin, but act infallible. Now, understand where she's coming from, and, and, but hear the words. People who acknowledge their sin, but act infallible. Is that us? Is that you? Do you acknowledge your sin in generic, general, theoretical, hypothetical, blanket kind of ways? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner. But in your real life, you act infallible. Do you say amen to our prayer of confession? Every Sunday, we have a prayer of confession where we acknowledge to God that we are sinners. And we call on Him for mercy. And can you say amen to all of that in church, but then act as if you're the only one who's perfect and you're the only one who's right at work? And all those sinners can't stand them. Can't stand those sinners. Do you freely admit that you're a sinner and yet at the same time look down on all those sinners who aren't as good as you are? Do you, you give intellectual assent to the idea, the theory of being a sinner and at the same time live to prove that your husband is always wrong and that you're always right? Do you question everyone else's motives but never question your own? You see, I'm not preaching to those who are out there. I'm preaching to us who are in here. We, you and I, members of Church of the Good Shepherd, members of this church, leaders in this church, pastors, elders, deacons in this church, we will never get beyond a purely academic, theoretical grasp of what it means to know Jesus Christ until we acknowledge the depth of our sin and our brokenness and our need. You'll never know the joy of having a Savior like this if you think you don't really need saving. You'll never know the goodness and the beauty and the sweetness of Jesus Christ until you stop being ravished by your own goodness and beauty. You won't experience the supreme value of Jesus Christ until you know that you are bankrupt. John Calvin said, writing about these words from Luke chapter 4, he said, The only way we may enjoy these benefits of Christ is to be humbled by a serious realization of our ills and to seek for Him as hungry men seek for a liberator. Those that are full of pride and do not groan in their bondage find no discomfort in their blindness and despise these words with deaf ears. If you don't taste how bad you are, these words will roll off your back like water off of a duck. 
So what I want is I want all of us, I want all of you to fall on your knees before this mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. Not just those of you who are here and who've never known Him before. And I'm sure that some of you here have never known Him before. This is all new to you. Not just you. But also, I want all of us, I want all of us to run to Jesus Christ today because we have seen our complete hopelessness and His absolute power and willingness to help us. We won't run to Him if we think we're okay. And I want to do that by turning loose the Word of God. And I want all of us to be broken by our poverty poverty and our captivity and our blindness and our oppression so that we will long for a deliverer and not rest until we find Him. So Jesus says, in these words that He reads from Isaiah the prophet, He says, I have come to proclaim good news to the poor. So do you think of yourself as poor? Do you think of yourself as poor apart from Jesus Christ? Now, of course, I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about poverty of money. I'm talking about poverty of spirit. In other words, regardless of all your religious talk, Regardless of all the things that you say about being a sinner, regardless of all the creeds that we often recite together, regardless of all the songs that you you sing, that we sing together, the prayers that we say amen to, regardless of all of that, do you really honestly see yourself as having absolutely nothing to offer to God? Do you see yourself as totally dependent on Him for your life and your breath and everything else? Do you see yourself as a hopeless, totally bankrupt beggar, always and only at His mercy for every scrap of goodness that you get from His table? Or, do you see yourself as God's faithful employee who deserves a fair paycheck And even, you know, this time of year, even a nice Christmas bonus, right? Because after all, you've earned it. Is that how you think of yourself in relationship to God? There was an old TV ad, I don't know what it was, I can't remember, but it said something like there's this old man in a suit and he says, we earn, we we make money the old-fashioned way, we earn it. Some of us think about God's grace that way. I I get God's grace the old-fashioned way, I earn it. Do you think that you put God in your debt? Do you hear what I'm saying? You you put God in your debt so that God has to pay you. Do you think that you put God in your your debt by your praying and your witnessing and your child rearing and your Bible reading and your tithing and whatever else it is that you struggle with, you know, turning away from pornography, when you turn away from it, God owes you. Do you think that you have worked diligently and conscientiously and faithfully and now God owes you for your work? Now, think about yourself and search your heart. Because our theology says, no, 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 no. Why don't do that? I don't do that. It's grace. It's unmerited favor. But I'm not telling you to recite to me your theology. I'm theoretical. I'm I'm asking you to think about the way you live in practice. Because I can see that in myself all the time. 
God, I have slaved away for you all these years. I've sacrificed. I've passed up money and comfort. I've disciplined myself. I've done the hard work of fighting against my sin. I've poured out my time in your service. Now pay me back, God. Pay me back. Pay me back by giving me what I want. Here are my demands. I'll be spiritual and call them prayer requests. Here are my demands. Here's what I want in return for what I have given to you, God. And if you don't come through, I'll find another God. Do you hear the pride in that? Now, see, that's me. I've done that. As if I can earn my way with God. Well, God thunders against that kind of pride. He says to Job, Job 41.11, Who has first given to me? God says, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? God is no man's debtor. How can... You don't give things to God and then He repays you for them. Who has given to me that I should repay Him? Listen to these words from Job. It just really gets at this attitude of pride in us. Listen to what God says to Job. Chapter 40, verses 6 through 14, if you want to look at it. But just listen. He says, speaking to Job, dress, your, dress for action like a man, Job. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Will you condemn me, God says, so that you'll be in the right? If I was God, I would do this. God, you're wrong. I'm right. If I was God, I would repay me for all of my good hard work. God, you're wrong. I'm right. God says, will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like His? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity, Job. Come on, clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger. And look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Since you're so great, Job. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then, then will I also acknowledge you that your own right hand can save you. Do you hear what God says? You want to save yourself? It means you have to be God. And rip him off of his throne. And clothe yourself with glory and majesty and dignity. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Jesus Christ did not come for those who think that they can put God in their debt by their own hard work and faithfulness. He did not come for those who think that they can bring anything to the table that is even remotely good. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. If you want to know the glory of this good news, then embrace your poverty. But Jesus doesn't just say that He came to preach good news to the poor. He also says this. 
He has sent me to proclaim recovering of sight to the blind. But do you see yourself as blind? Now, Jesus really did bring physical sight to many people who were physically blind, but I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Physical blindness, when Jesus heals someone's physical blindness, he always uses it as an illustration of what he really came to do. He came to heal people of their spiritual blindness. Physical blindness is just a shadow of the curse of spiritual blindness. And physical blindness, as bad as that is, physical blindness is nothing compared to spiritual blindness. For one thing, when you're physical, physically blind, you know it, don't you? Can you think of a man or woman who, who is physically blind and who doesn't know it? They know they're blind. But the opposite is true with spiritual blindness. The tragic thing about spiritual blindness is that when you're spiritually blind, you can't see your blindness. Your blindness blinds your eyes to your blindness. Spiritually blind people think that they have 20-20 vision, that they can see everything clearly. Especially, when you think of it, everyone else's sin. Spiritually blind people can see everyone else's sin, they can't see their own. When Jesus walked on this earth, there was a time when he healed the physical, physical blindness of a man who was born blind. There's a whole story, a whole account of that in John chapter 9. I'm not going to read that. I just want to read part of that to you. Don't even turn there. Just listen. John records this, this time when Jesus heals this man born blind. Blind from birth. Physical blindness. And he does it, Jesus does it in such a way that he, he, he puts mud on this man's eyes and tells him to go and wash in this pool. Do you remember that story? So he's still blind. Jesus puts this mud on this guy's eyes. He can't see him. He's never seen Jesus because he's blind. And he puts this mud on his eyes and tells him to go wash in this pool. He goes away, leaves Jesus, washes in the pool, and, and, and he sees. God, God heals him. So he doesn't know what Jesus looks like. He doesn't know who Jesus actually is by sight. And at the end of that whole story, Jesus comes to this man... Remember the story? He's been kicked out of the synagogue because he's believing in Jesus as the Messiah. He, the Jews kick him out. And Jesus seeks him out and finds him. And listen to what he says. Jesus says to this man, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, in these ironic words, You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. In other words, I am the Son of Man. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things. And they said to him, Are we also blind, Jesus? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Do you understand what Jesus is saying there? He's saying that if you think that you can see, then your guilt remains. If you're blind to your blindness, then your guilt remains. If you think that you can see, then in reality, you're the blind man. 
Jesus has mercy on people who freely admit their blindness. But He has only judgment for those who think that they can see without Him. Jesus didn't come, come for people who think, I, I, you know, I can see just fine, thank you, Jesus. No, He, he came for those who know they are blind. He has sent me to proclaim the recovering of sight to the blind. You can't recover your sight until you're blind, until you know it. Jesus doesn't just say, though, that He came to preach good news to the poor and give sight to the blind. He also says something else. He says, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Think about yourself. Do you really think of yourself as a captive? An oppressed slave apart from Jesus Christ? Or are you like the Pharisees that Jesus talks to in John 8? John 8, 33. He's talking about slavery and sin. And, and these Pharisees take offense at this. And they say, we're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. Are you offended when God calls you a slave? I'm an American. I have free will. I can make my own choices and do what I want. I'm the captain of my own destiny. I've never been enslaved to anyone. That's what it means to be an American. That's what it means to be strong, free, brave. Oh, really? Well, the Bible tells us that every single person on the face of this earth is born as a slave in at least four ways. And I might be missing some, but just listen to this. Apart from Jesus Christ, you're a slave to your own sin. Proverbs 5.22 puts it like this. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. And he is held fast in the cords of his sin. Some of you know exactly what that feels like, don't you? That habit, that sin, wraps you up, entangles you, ensnares you. The harder you try to struggle against it, the tighter the chains get. That's what it's like. Jesus says in John 8, 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Okay, I want to see your hands. How many of you commit sin? What are you then? You're a slave to sin. The Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 19, Whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Paul says the same same thing in Titus 3. Verse 3, he's talking about... the, the the nature of every single person who's ever been born on the face of the earth apart from Jesus Christ, he says, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's what it's like apart from Christ. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. Apart from Jesus Christ, you are a slave of your own sin. You were born that way. You were born as a person who's a sinner by nature. You cannot stop sinning by your own choice and your own power. As bad as that is, your slavery, though, is even worse than that. Apart from Jesus Christ, you're a slave to the devil and his demons. Not only a slave to your sin, you're a slave to the devil. 2 Timothy 2.26 Paul speaks of those who have been captured by the devil to do his will. We have all been captured by the devil to do his will. Hopeless as that sounds, 
it gets even worse. Not only are you a slave to your sin and a slave to Satan, apart from Jesus Christ, you're a slave to the law, to the law of God. Romans 7, 6, Paul tells us that the law held us captive. Galatians 3, remember this verse? Galatians 3, 23, Paul says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. In other words, apart from Jesus Christ, you were held as a condemned prisoner, held in chains by the law as a condemned prisoner, waiting the righteous judgment of the, of the law of God. You're doomed to live under the exact requirements of the law. But apart from Jesus Christ, you have no hope of keeping the exact requirements of the law. Because remember, you're a slave to your sin and you're a slave to Satan. Apart from Jesus Christ, all that the law can do for you is point out your sins and condemn you for them. As if that wasn't bad enough. As if being a slave to your own sin, a slave to Satan, a slave to the law weren't bad enough. Apart from Jesus Christ, you're a slave to fear. What else could it be, right? Fear. Hebrews 2.15, the Bible tells us that every human being through fear of death is subject to lifelong slavery. Subject to lifelong slavery through their fear of death. Now think about that. How could it be any other way? If you're hopelessly enslaved by your sin, and if you're hopelessly enslaved by the devil to do his will, if you're therefore hopelessly enslaved under the condemnation and the judgment of God's righteous holy law, then, then you have a whole lot to be afraid of. And you especially have death to be afraid of. Because when you die, you know that you will have to face your judge. The one whose law you have broken over and over and over again. And if you've never embraced Jesus Christ by faith, if you've never come to Him for mercy and put all of your hopes on Him and His grace and turned away from that mindset of, I will perform and God will pay me. If you've never done that, if you've never turned away from that, then you will stand before the righteous judge of the universe on your own accounts based on how good you've done and how well you've done. And you know you haven't done well. And so you live in fear. We're all slaves. And unless you recognize the depth of your slavery and the strength of your change, you will never know the joys of being liberated. If you're not a slave, then you have no use for a liberator. If your sin just amounts to little bad habits that you can handle, little ways of talking and thinking and acting that you can change with your own strength and your own self-discipline and your own hard work, if you've never seen and felt the chains of your sin and the chains of Satan and the chains of the law and the chains of fear, then, then you'll hear of this Deliverer that God sent to us and you'll yawn. Who needs Him? But you are a slave whether you recognize it or not. And I'm here to proclaim to you that Jesus Christ came to free you from all of that slavery. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's why He came. He has come to set us free from sin. These words from, from Revelation 1 verse 5, just listen to this, they 
declare to us that Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, has freed us from our sins by His blood. He frees us from our sin. He has come to set us free from Satan. Paul says of Jesus Christ, Colossians 2.15, Jesus Christ disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. The one who used to be your slave master is now in chains, but you're not. He says in 2 Timothy 2.26 that sinners who repent, sinners who come to know the truth, can escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. You, You hear of this slavery and you say it's hopeless. No, it's not. Because Jesus Christ came to free captives. And you can be free. He has come to set us free from the curse and the condemnation of the law. Paul declares that to us. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us. He freed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus Christ came to set you free from fear. Hebrews 2.14 and 15 Listen to these words. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, He Himself likewise partook of the same things. He took on flesh and blood. He was born as a baby in a manger. He experienced life the way we experience life as a real human being that you could touch. He took on flesh and blood. He had to. Why? That through death. He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Christ came to set you free from your slavery. That is what He has done. That's what He came to do. And He has come to preach good news to the poor. And He has come to proclaim recovery of sight to those who know they're blind. The question is, Will you entrench yourself in your pride and insulate yourself from any sense of need and cut yourself off from receiving His help? Will you insist on your own power, your own spiritual wealth? Will you, will you insist that yes, you really can see. You see everything perfectly clearly. Will you continue to think that you actually have power over your own destiny and over your own sin and you're not really a slave after all? Or will you admit everything that God says about you? You might be thinking, but if I admit all of that about myself, poor, blind slave, if I admit that about myself, it'll crush me. It'll break me. Yes, that's right. It will. But God's Word tells us the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And He saves the crushed in spirit. Who does He save? He saves people who are broken and crushed. Be crushed! God Himself says in Isaiah 57.15, For thus says the High One, the One who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. 
but also with Him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly. To revive the heart of the contrite. It says in Psalm 51.17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God will not despise your brokenness. He loves it. God's Word says, O God, you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. It says the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He adorns the humble with salvation. God says in Isaiah 66.2, This is the one on whom, to whom I will look. This is the one that I will pay attention to. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at My Word. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Don't despair if you see your poverty and blindness and slavery. Do not despair. Instead, rejoice. Jesus came for the poor and the blind and the enslaved. Embrace Him by faith and rejoice. Because Jesus came to proclaim good news not to the rich but to the poor. He came to proclaim recovery of sight not to those who think they can see but to those who know they're blind. He came to proclaim liberty not to people who have it all together and who are strong and competent and free and able, got all their ducks in a row and who are better than everyone else. Jesus didn't come for those kinds of people. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. If, you don't, if you're not sick, you don't need a doctor. Jesus didn't come for those people who think they're well. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Favor. Favor for those who will see their neediness and embrace Jesus Christ as their liberator and their Savior and their Redeemer and their Healer. So turn away from your pride. All of you. All of us. I hope you don't think, yeah, this is what he needs to hear. This is what she needs to hear. No. This is what we all need to hear. Turn away from your pride. And turn to Him. And He will have mercy on you. Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. People who don't think they're weary and heavy laden don't need rest. Come to Him. And He will not turn you away. Let's pray together.